I bring you greetings from African Bible University in Uganda. It was about eight, year, eight hours ago that they were doing exactly what you're doing right now in our chapel on the campus. For many years, we discouraged having a church worship on our campus because we wanted the students to disperse, to go out into many churches. But, and we could not find a church that would be reformed in faith and true to the Bible. But eventually we did find a church of that sort and they appealed to us to use our chapel. So they are worshiping or just finished their worship or about eight hours ago. And very thankfully, I don't know whether it's the rainy season now or not, but when it rains, it really rains. We have ditches about this wide and about this deep along the side of every one of the, our roads on campus, and our chapel roof was leaking. It is a beautiful five-sided chapel in the round with hard wood from the Congo, beautifully built, and now the chapel doesn't leak because you at Independent Presbyterian Church were gracious enough to provide the funds, and there weren't a little bit of funds, to re-roof the chapel so that it is no longer leaking. Every Monday through Friday, our student body gathers in that chapel, and whether it's raining or not, they're very happy to be there and to learn from the Word of God, to pray together, to hear the testimonies of one another, and even senior sermons the second semester, which is a great delight for everyone. But we praise the Lord for your partnering with us. And just this week, I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, the new president of African Bible University of Uganda will be installed. Dr. Paul Chin Chin will be there from the USA to install him. Dr. Jeremiah Pitts, a very wonderful person who is perfect for the job. He left a tenured position in the university, in the university systems of Georgia, and with his wife who grew up on the mission field and their three children, he is there to pick up the mantle and to take African Bible University even to higher heights of service to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we rejoice and we trust you are rejoicing with us in the wonderful thing that God is doing there with students from seven different African countries learning the word of God and then sharing it with their own people. The scripture for this morning is taken from Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 beginning to read at verse, verse 13. Paul the Apostle has made his first landing in Asia and is in the synagogue and we have here the fullest record of his early sermons. Let us hear this portion of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Acts chapter 13 beginning at verse 13. 
Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, 
you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am working a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. May God bless through our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. The doctrine most difficult to believe. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you have revealed to human beings perishable, short-lived, but eternal in our spirits truth. Give to us the ability to believe the truth as it is revealed in Moses, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles, that we might be saved. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is the doctrine most difficult to believe? Would you say the Trinity? Well, it is indeed a truth that is impossible for us to completely comprehend. But you look out the window and you see trees and you see treeness. And you look around the congregation and you see humans and you see a variety of humans. Unity and diversity, a manifestation of the very essence of the Trinity. Yes, we can believe the Trinity. But what about the Incarnation? Is that the doctrine most difficult for you to believe? That God, the Almighty, could be clothed in human flesh? It is a doctrine that is incomprehensible from many perspectives. Yet man was made in the likeness and image of God, and therefore it would seem to be at least possible that God could be clothed in human flesh. No, what is the doctrine most difficult to believe? This passage of scripture tells you it is hell. Hell is the doctrine most difficult to believe. That is the climax of Paul's first missionary sermon. 
He says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells you. He is quoting from the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk was living in the 7th century B.C. He was living between two cataclysmic experiences of God's own people. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, had already been invaded by the Assyrian armies. And they had been devastated. And they had been carried away with chains about their neck. The southern kingdom of Judah was still there. And Habakkuk says, I am going to, or at least God says to Habakkuk, I am going to tell you something that you would not believe, a work that I am going to do, that even if I tell you, you're not going to believe it. And what was that? That Judah, that Jerusalem, the holy city, And the temple of God would be devastated even worse than in the north by the Babylonians. And they would be carried away into exile. And that is exactly what did happen. But what is this exile? Well, it is banishment from the presence of God. God had manifested his presence in Israel in Jerusalem in the temple and fill that temple with holiness and yet that temple had been devastated. The people of Judah in the days of Habakkuk and the days of Jeremiah had a little phrase that they recited. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is this. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is this. In other words, there is no way that this temple will ever fall because it is the temple of the Lord. And what is this falling of the temple? This removal from the land of promise? It is banishment from the presence of God. And what is hell? Hell is banishment from the presence of God. Every blessing that God brings is gone. God is light. And so in hell there will be no light. God is love. And in hell there will be no no love. There will be a darkness so severe as it was in the plagues of Israel that everyone will sit and not dare take one step. Have you ever been to Carlsbad Caverns of one of the other caverns in Virginia? Have you been down there deep, deep, deep in the earth? And you look and you see this huge drop-off and then they flick off the lights and you don't budge. Because you can't see a thing. That is just one of the aspects of hell. Because hell means banishment from the presence of God. 
and all that God will bring. And that is the doctrine most difficult to believe. Could you believe that God would send people to hell? Well, we need to understand the context of God sending people to hell, and we need to see the wonder of God's provision so that no one would have to go to hell. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ delivers us, anyone, from the banishment of hell. And that was the good news that Paul was bringing, that if you believe in Jesus, then you will not experience this banishment, this thing that you cannot believe. So if we look in the context of Paul's preaching, in the early part of his preaching, you know, he doesn't go through this history for no reason at all. He's, he's preparing them to understand what hell can mean and why hell does exist. Despite mercy and grace for 1,500 years, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That was the message of Habakkuk. Despite constant grace and mercy of God to a sinful, rebellious people, they would not turn. They would not believe. And so they experienced banishment. Billy Graham my spiritual father has a nice video about heaven that, that you can get on the internet and he talks about heaven and hell and about hell he says I don't like it do you like it? I don't like it he says I don't like it he says but that doesn't make, make it go away I don't believe in war I don't like it but that doesn't make it go away you have to deal with reality as scripture brings it to you. So look at the long history, just glancing over it, and you can read about it further in your, when you're home this afternoon, this context of 1,500 years. First, God chose our fathers, Abraham. What was Abraham doing? Was he in a special circumstance that God would choose him? Well, we learned that Abraham was worshiping idols over on the other side of the river. And we know that anyone who worships idols is going to live an immoral life. So Abraham was an idolater living an immoral life, and God chose him. That was grace. And anyone chosen of God is one that is chosen by grace, not by merit. And that means you could be a good object of the choice of God. Secondly, God led Israel through the Exodus with uplifted arm by the blood of the Passover lamb. So what's the meaning of the blood? The blood on the doorpost. Well, it means that those people inside that house, the Israelites, were just as guilty of sin as the Egyptians. They deserved to die and to go to hell just as much the Egyptians did. It was only the blood of the lamb that saved them. Then 
Paul says. <laughs> he uses this interesting phrase. He put up with our fathers in the desert for 40 years. He put up with them. He endured them. They rebelled against him. We don't like this manna. Manna, manna, manna. Give us something good to eat. We want some leeks and onions. We want something nice to eat. Take us back to Egypt. Ten times over, they complained. He put up with them. Then God gave them the land that belonged to seven other nations. Those nations deserved the condemnation and judgment of God, and he used Israel as the instrument of judgment upon them, and then gave them the land. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? To walk in and you've got your food change, your road systems, your, your water and waste systems all in place, and you just walk in and you get all that land that they have planted, all the vineyards that they've planted. God gave them. That's grace and mercy. Has God been gracious and merciful to you? Has he given you plenty, even some leeks and onions, as well as some manna, manna, manna? Well, then he gave them judges. You remember the days of the judges? Israel sinned. God chastened them as a good father will. They cried out in repentance, and God sent them a savior, a judge. They did it again. He did it again. They did it again. He did it again, over and over and over in the period of the judges. Then they asked for a king like the other nations. They rejected God as their king. They wanted the other nations. It's happening today. People don't want God to be their king, and they reject him. Then they, God graciously gave them David, a man after God's own heart. Finally, after 1,500 years of tolerating these people, 1,000, this country is what, 250 years? 250 years old, God has tolerated this nation for 250 years. Is he going to tolerate it for 1,500 years? For 1,500 years. And then he banished them. He sent them out of his presence. A judgment came upon his own people, and they were cast away. Consider your own life and think about it. Every good and perfect gift comes from your Father. And every time you sin, has he not been gracious to you? Beware. That's what Paul says. Look, you scoffers, be amazed. Don't not believe in hell. Because you may not like it, but God does banish people from his presence eventually. So, what are we to say then? We could go through the whole of the New Testament. We could say, well, you know, that's, that's not Jesus, is it? We find even in the book of Isaiah these amazing words where Isaiah ends his book. They will go out and look at the dead bodies that have rebelled. Their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all humanity. That is the end of the beautiful prophecy of Isaiah. 
They will go out and look at the dead bodies who have rebelled. Their worm will not die, and the fire will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all humanity. Ah, you say, that's Old Testament. Yes? Did you know Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible? And that's appropriate because he's the son of God. And he is the one that is going to banish those that are on his left hand. He's going to say, away from me into the fires of hell. I never knew you. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's how serious sin is. It is better to enter the kingdom of God than to have two eyes and be hurled into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And how does the New Testament end? Revelation chapter 20. They are raised from the dead and they are cast into the lake of fire that goes on for eternity. From Genesis to Revelation, the testimony of God's word is the same. From Moses and the prophets to Jesus and the apostles, it's real. Yet, you will not believe. You will not believe. It's still not believed. Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There's poor Lazarus begging at the gate. And the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. Does that, does that make you squirm a little bit? Feasted sumptuously every day, three times a day, feasted sumptuously. Dressed in purple and fine linen. And the poor man was covered with sores, dogs licking his sores, and he longed just for the droppings off the table of the rich man. Does that make you cringe, wonder a little bit? Both die. The poor man is in heaven. The rich man is in hell. And the rich man says, I have five brothers. I beg you, Father Abraham, Send Lazarus to warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This is Jesus' teaching. And he says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead and come and say to them, it is true. Just suppose a prominent person in this church, well known across the city of Savannah, should die, and a large funeral should be held in this church. An open casket. You saw the man lying in state. Just at this moment, suddenly there's a stir in the back of the church, and the doors open. Ushers stand back in frozen horror. You gasp. It's the same person whose funeral you attended just a few weeks ago. 
And as he walks down the middle of this aisle, you can smell the smoke on his garments. He comes around, he comes up into this pulpit, and he says, it is true. Hell is true. You wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe it, even if someone rose from the dead. But there's one more way in which you might possibly be convinced. You said you believed it today. What is that? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How is that? Jesus experienced hell. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, darkness covered the whole earth. And even though his body was still there hanging on the cross, he was banished from the presence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries. Jesus was in hell. What did he do to deserve hell? Nothing. He descended into hell. You said you believed it today. All of you said it. I believe in that Jesus descended into hell. Not that he physically descended, but that in his spirit he experienced banishment from the presence of God. Why? That you and that the world might not experience hell. That you might be saved from hell. Is that not the text of this conference? Through this man, Jesus, whom Paul has just preached, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's the key. That's the only way you would reason you would go to hell is because of sin. And you've all sinned. But in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins. And you can be justified, that is, declared just and righteous before God. Because all the righteousness of Christ, all the righteous life that he lives, is attributed to you. And all your sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus. And you are saved. Save yourselves from this crooked generation by putting your trust in Jesus. All, whoever they are, whoever you are, old or young, rich or poor, in good health or bad health, you can look to Jesus today and you can be saved. You can be delivered once and for all. The books will be opened. 
and all your sins will be blotted out. There will be not a trace of them. Your sins will be cast into the bottom of the sea. As far as the east is from the west shall all your sins be. And that is the message of salvation to all the world. And that's where we get to missions today. Go. This last song that we're going to sing, you know, there's an old Jewish proverb that says, as a man sings, so is he. As a man sings, so is he. So this is what I want you to sing. I want you to sing, not, O Zion, haste, your mission high fulfilling, but you can't actually sing it because it wouldn't fit the notes, but, O independent Presbyterian church, haste, your mission high fulfilling, to tell to all the world that God is light, that he who made all nations is not willing one soul should perish lost in shades of night. Behold, how many thousands still are lying bound in the darksome prison house of sin with none to tell them of the Savior's dying or of the life he died for them to win. Proclaim to everyone, every people, tongue, and nation that God in whom they live and move is love. Tell how he stooped to save his lost creation and died on earth that man might live above. Give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out your soul for them in prayer victorious. And all your spending, Jesus will repay. Publish glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus redemption and release. Oh, independent Presbyterian church, haste to tell the nations that they can be delivered from the banishment from God and all the blessings he would bring. And they may enter beginning now in this life and for eternity in the life to come in the presence of the loving, blessed Son of God, Spirit of God, Father God. And if you have never really turned to Jesus, turn now. In your heart, turn to him. Confess your sin and your imperfection. Acknowledge that you deserve, you do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God, do you? None of us do. Confess that now and cry out and look in faith to Jesus who descended into hell that you might not go to hell. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that everyone is justified who believes in Jesus. Thank you that you have entrusted us with this glorious message of salvation. Give us the grace of life, of strength, of commitment to go and to joyfully proclaim to the nations 
the salvation of Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.